Ed Rosenthal is a longtime cannabis author of the Cannabis Growers Encyclopedia. He is a longtime cannabis advocate, especially for home grow. We are very excited to have him on today. Thank you for stopping by again, too, and welcome to the Bluegrass Podcast. She said, now I'm a red-headed galactic installation portal revolving around the sun. I know I'm here and that it means love everyone. You want to go ahead and get started? Thank you for coming on, by the way. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'd also like to say thank you for your advocacy and education work. I admire it a lot. Oh, thank you so much. How do you feel about advocacy at the moment? Do you feel like it's moved away from home grow at all or gotten stronger? Well, certainly uh, commercial enterprises, as usual, uh, uh, have their lobbies to further the goals of the um, profit-making corporations, but uh, I think that there's still a lot of um, activism around uh, legalization, especially for home use and getting prisoners freed. Mm -hmm. Nobody should be in prison for marijuana, period. No, absolutely not. It's a big part of getting the legislation through, right, and making it easy for people. That's right. And uh, I think that uh, uh, even though uh, there's uh, all this commercialism behind behind marijuana right Mm -hmm. now, I think that it's really important that people have the right to grow their own and to process their own. Absolutely. Working at a dispensary, that was one thing that we told every single patient was go ahead and grow your own too. It'll let you buy higher quality stuff, too, when you do come in. It'll raise the bar. That's right. But, uh, you know, it's a plant. Everybody should be allowed to grow it. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Do you have any thoughts about, like, plant limits? Because oftentimes they're quite low, what the states allow. I, I think that uh, plant limits, the uh, entire concept of plant limits is uh, actually hasn't been tried yet but i don't think that it would stand withstand uh court examination based for this reason it has no basis in science and the reason why plant limits don't have basis in science is that a plant can be flowered at any size so Mm -hmm. there's so if they're trying to limit the amount that a person can grow a plant limit doesn't do it because, uh, you know, you could have 10 plants that don't equal an ounce. And on the other hand, you could have uh, one plant that equals 10 pounds. So there's no, there's no science behind a plant count. A, a, a good science would be either uh, limiting the amount, indoors limiting the amount of light that a plant can get in terms of wattage. Mm-hmm. Uh, outdoors canopy size, but even canopy size is um, isn't really that science scientific. Uh, for this reason, uh, you could be g- growing in a cloudy area, for instance, 
San Francisco, which is, or Seattle, which are often overcast, mm -hmm. or you could be growing in a really sunny area that has uh, intense light and you get different results from that. So it isn't fair to just look at the canopy, but also the, uh, si the size of the, uh, but also uh, the environmental conditions. That would be kind of hard. I, I think that really what, uh, another solution to it would be that, uh, that small holders would be also able, allowed to sell perhaps uh, they purchase a license and then they'd be able to sell small amounts. At, mm -hmm. uh, As like a craft farmer having a set amount of cultivation space and then you can sort of vertically integrate the whole process. That's right. Or if, imagine, of, of, um, and there've been in California, there've been farmers markets where uh, different cannabis farmers get together and it's sort of like a, uh, a farmer's market. And uh, I think that that would be uh, a good way to uh, resolve some of it. Mm. But I think that the, what this, what the state of California is doing right now, which has, which where it has very high taxes and limits the number of uh, facilities. I, I, I think that's wrong. I, I think that uh, um, Oklahoma has a, a, better system and that is you apply for a license and as long as you're in a legally zoned area uh, you can open up and uh, it, it shouldn't be uh, something I like you I don't like you it, that that's no way to run a system well and we see in those states that give out limited licenses at the beginning usually the ones that they do give out after that go to the same people who have those first sets of licenses the, well, the whole system is corrupt because it, it it's based on how much money you have in some states. For instance, Nevada, which has very high licensing fees, mm -hmm. and then in other in other areas, uh, they limit the number of uh, facilities. So I like you because you're my friend and you contribute to my campaign, and I don't like you, and I don't like you because. You're my opponent's brother-in-law. Mm -hmm. I believe True Leave was, they just got hit with a corruption charge in Florida, wasn't it? Over their licensing process. It's inevitable. Considering the licensing process itself is corrupt. So mm -hmm. everybody associated with it has to get, get corrupt in order to get a license. And you have the same thing in New York where they're trying to limit the number of licenses. You know, mm -hmm. is, is one license for every million people enough? I don't know. You know, that's, I, I don't think that, I think that it should be more something that the market decides. Well, and I think there's also something to be said that licenses below a certain size should be unlimited to a certain degree. Anyone should have access to a small business of a certain scale. Well, why shouldn't they have access to a larger business? Well, if they, I just mean in terms of like, if you don't have $10 million, uh, you can yeah, start oh, yeah. out trying as a small business and work your way up. Right. Well, actually what's happening is as the price of cannabis goes down, because the reason why cannabis had a high price is because 
there was a limited supply that mm. was created by um, having it illegal so that many people who might be might have been great growers just say as long as it's illegal i'm not going to be involved in it so when it gets so now that it's legal and the supply is going up because it's legal it's becoming more like a commodity um, you know any other legal commodity that right the price mm. rises and falls on demand and it's supply and demand and the demand uh uh the supply in the last few years has increased far more than the su- than it had before so that even though demand's going up supply is outpacing demand and so the price price is falling and uh that makes it hard for uh taxable for taxable businesses to compete against the uh traditional market absolutely you know uh uh, a price of a pound some pounds are going for 500 to a thousand dollars and yet prices in the in the shops might still be three to five hundred dollars an ounce so as long as you have that kind of discrepancy in the market, there'll be an arbitrage of sorts. And uh, especially with the tax rates at what they are. I know there's been a lot of conversation about that this fall, things being in the 30 to 40% range so that by the time it gets to the consumer, it's artificially inflated by a significant margin already. Well, that, and then you have the cost of doing business at a dealer or a grower doesn't have that is maintaining a place, all of the licensing things, um, the mm-hmm. testing, things like that. So it makes it um, uh, it's difficult for uh, uh, dispen- dispensaries and shops to compete with that. And especially if, if, you're, uh, if you're more of a chronic u- user, you have more of an incentive to find uh, a lower price than the occasional user, so mm-hmm. um, or the person who doesn't use a lot. So um, a lot of the larger sales are siphoned off by the um, traditional market, and it sort of gives a point too towards we should be giving out more licenses if you let more people in the traditional market in things might run a little bit better too, and you might see the quality go up. I don't see where uh, um, consumers necessarily have a loyalty to uh, to dispensaries. Uh, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just another commercial store. I mean, no matter how dedicated the owner might be, ultimately, it's just an you know, it's no different than a bakery or a shoe store or any other store mm-hmm. in that it's a commercial business. And so that if the consumer has a chance to get it at a lower price, I don't see where they have uh, an incentive to stay loyal to the shop. Well, I think that goes into where you start to talk about cannabis as a luxury good, right? Because there'll always be a market, too, for a higher quality product and people probably willing to pay that price as well, right? 
I don't think it's based on that. I think that what it's really based on is uh, the cost of doing business and the taxes and things like that. And so uh, very often the, uh, the independent grower dealer might have a quality material that of equal or superior quality to the material that's going into the shops. Mm. So th that's what I meant by the, the, that the, that the uh, consumer does not necessarily have loyalty to the shops. Mm. It's not, it's not like I love they have loyalty shop. to the farm more than they do to the place they're buying it at. I think they have loyalty to the product mm -hmm. rather than to where they're getting it. Do you think that that goes into strains as well? If they can find consistent, sorry, <clears throat> if they happen to find that if say, for example, OG Kush, I know yeah. you can get different variations of it, but I know a lot of people look for that particular strain. Do you think that there's loyalty to strain at all or particular cultivar? Loyalty to strain is often in comp it competes with um, uh, price. So you might like one strain a really lot, mm -hmm. but if the price of another strain is significantly lower than that, you might make a switch. Mm -hmm. There was something you mentioned at the Emerald Cup that I was kind of curious about that you were talking about a little bit with light cycles and about yes. trying to grow a little more in tune with light cycles. I was curious if you could talk about that a little bit. Well, you know that um, uh, most marijuana, excluding uh, auto flowers, flower... Uh, starts to flower, initiates flowering based on the number of hours of uninterrupted darkness it receives. Mm -hmm. So in the fall, as the number of hours of, of darkness increases, that's a, that's a signal to the plant to start flowering. That quality of the plant can, or, uh, can be used in a number of ways mm -hmm. to induce flowering or stop flowering to to stop flowering, you would provide additional uh, hours of light. And you don't actually have to provide a solid block, but you could just um, interrupt the dark cycle. Mm -hmm. By interrupting the dark cycle, the plant doesn't get a long enough uninterrupted dark period to induce flowering. Or if you wanted plants to flower, you could... Uh, do light deprivation, that is cover them so that they have a longer dark, per dark period than nature is providing it at the time. Mm -hmm. So using those, uh, those two things, that is um, increasing the light cycle or increasing the amount, increasing the dark period or decreasing the dark period, the length of the dark period, what you can do is control when the plant flowers and, mm -hmm. um and uh the theory that i go on uh is that uh is based on what i call carbon what, what's called carbon allocation and that is 
you know, this, the plant gathers carbon from the atmosphere when it, it, when it absorbs CO2 and breaks the, the carbon dioxide uh, uh, and then um, uh, uses the CO2 and the um, hydrogen from water to make sugars. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then um, so that carbon... So if a plant allocates that carbon for plant growth, but not flower production, then uh, that allocation isn't doing the farmer or the consumer any good. So if it's just growing branches and leaves and things like that, because what we're interested in is the bud. So my, my idea is to manipulate not only mine, but the idea would be to manipulate the plant to spend most of its time producing flowers rather than uh, growing infrastructure. So you'd have a much simpler plant without much branching or any branching at all, but maybe just a main stem and then, um, uh, and then flowers so mm-hmm. that the plant spends a higher percentage of its time actually uh, producing uh material useful to humans and i think also might allow people to harvest a little bit earlier as well and still maintain ripeness right yes well what happens is that instead of having one plant uh growing to cover uh to cover the canopy over a period of time you know it grows Mm -hmm. a branch and then it grows more branches and it grows out and continues growing until the canopy is filled what if you put in uh uh more uh a a larger number of plants into the canopy and then each uh each plant would only have to grow a little for the canopy to be filled Mm -hmm. so all that time that was spent in developing uh, a plant to fill the canopy that all that time is uh is largely eliminated so that there's a faster turnover of plants and harvest in a a time period yeah keep making things as efficient as possible on the farm trying to make sure it's sustainable and you can operate at pace sort of to compete i'm curious do you think large-scale indoor cultivation and i don't mean mixed light because i think that there's a place for mixed light greenhouses but i mean indoor cultivation sort of in the more sterile environment do you think that's sustainable long term it depends you know that first of all there's a there are two things with that the first thing is that the cost of setup and and maintenance is it can become a factor in this, especially as the price of cannabis goes down. Mm-hmm. So, so if there's a if there's a fixed price for uh, production and the price is going down, then your margins are going down, mm-hmm. and that's what's been going on. I mean, a few years ago, or let's say maybe. Uh, uh, Ten years ago, cannabis was going for three thousand dollars a pound or so, and it's gone down to a third of that. So all of that 
profit that farmers were making, uh, you know, has been has been eliminated, and that's what's um, uh, and that's continuing to happen. So that you know, it's going to be priced more like more like uh, ordinary commodities than this uh, precious commodity with with a lack of supply. And I think that also might mean that you'll see the transition over of the larger operators to larger scale outdoor operations as well. Well, it will be more and more difficult for uh, farms that have high operating costs either. You know, you it, it might not be the cost of production. It might just be the rent. Mm-hmm. For instance, if, if you're growing in San Francisco, right, and then, you know, uh, rent is a major consideration. And so it would be hard to compete with uh, something in Stockton, for instance, where the rents are much lower. Mm-hmm. And then, then there's a question of whether a, whether a greenhouse can actually compete with, um, not a greenhouse, but an indoor system can actually compete with an outdoor or a greenhouse system. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's questionable at some point. Do you think that in terms of like the ecological results, do you think that there at least should be a push towards the mixed light greenhouses instead of the indoor? Well, I, I don't see it happening, happening ideologically. I see it just happening as a, uh, um, a factor of production costs. Do you think that you can get free? Certainly if you can get free light that you can manipulate, um, uh, it's cheaper than uh, buying uh, electricity. In terms of like growing outdoor, exclusively outdoor, not in a greenhouse, do you think that there's any sort of superior quality about full-term outdoor versus light depth outdoor versus mixed light greenhouse? Well, there there's some discussion about um, whether UV, what, what the function of UV light is with plants. And um, mo- uh, most researchers think that the uh, that uh, uh, UV light will increase the qu- uh, quality of the, uh, the, the amount of THC that the plant produces because of the stress reaction. Mm-hmm. So if that's true, then uh, most um, greenhouse coverings uh, aside from acrylic, don't allow in UV light. So if that's the case, then um, uh, greenhouse stru- a lot of greenhouse structure material would have to be changed. But uh, certainly um, uh, mixed light or outdoor cultivation is certainly ch- it can certainly be cheaper. And especially if you have um, if you have cheap land, you know, in some southern states, farmland isn't that expensive, and mm-hmm. uh, you could grow nine months of the year or so outdoors. Depends on the area. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do have greenhouses that they keep through the winter, and a lot of places a little further up as well, down in yeah. not as far up, I think. I think the further north you go, the less it happens. But 
even some of the more mountainous areas too, where you might go up a little higher and it might get colder, you know, people overnight or overwinter their plants. Well, take, take in Canada. If you go take the road from Toronto down to Niagara, that there are millions of square feet of uh, greenhouse that are 12 Hmm. months of the year greenhouses. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do question whether there is profitability in um, uh, January, late December, January, and February, whether those are actually running profitably at that time. Like whether the growth is enough to justify how much it takes to run the facility? Yes, especially the heating. And I know that um, electricity is much uh, cheaper in Canada than in the U.S., but even so, mm-hmm. uh, you, you're dealing with very low, uh, 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 very low uh, natural light levels for a very short period of time, and high uh, heating co- costs. So uh, it might be it, it might be easier to um, have them on a sort of skeleton schedule during uh, the the coldest months, light, dimmest, coldest and dimmest months. Mm. And may I ask you one more question? I didn't want to take up too much of your time. Yeah, go, go right ahead. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask you about some advice for people that might want to try and keep their own genetics alive at home or rely on their own seed production because a lot of states you're allowed to buy seeds from licensed seed distributors, but as of yet, there are no licensed seed distributors selling seeds. Well, the first thing is that anybody who wants to buy seeds can buy them over the internet. And there's uh, no way for the government to regulate that. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's legal, but how? what are they going to do? Open every um, envelope, every first class envelope? They're not mm-hmm. So there's very little uh, risk in buying seed over the internet. And then as far as producing <laughs> as far as producing seed, that's easily enough done as well. So um, and a lot of and you know, actually for most people it would be better to function um, to grow from clones because they stop they uh, because the germination process uh, slows down production. And uh, when you have use a clone, you know exactly what the plant is going to look like, what it's going to taste like, what, what its characteristics are going to be. With the seed, it's just like children, in human children. Every time you, you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your kid might be a great musician, or a, a dollard, <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, that's a risk of uh, of sexual uh, reproduction as compared with asexual, where you're just making a clone of something that's in, has a known value. Now, say someone found a clone that they really, really liked, but they wanted seeds of that clone or they wanted to try and work with it, what would advice would you give for them? Well, 
they could uh, try um, uh, feminizing the plant so that it uh, produces male flowers, but it's usually not good to fertilize a plant times itself or pollinate a plant times itself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, um, so at first you'd cross it with another variety, and then um, and then you could could uh, back cross it over a period of time till you get a higher percentage of your of of your goal plant. So let's say you crossed it with something else. Uh, the first time it's fifty percent of the plant that you like, mm-hmm. and then if you cross that times the plant, then it's seventy five percent. You know, and then the next resulting it would be eighty seven percent. So in a few generations, it would be that uh, using back crossing, you'd have mo- a, a a plant that's uh, heterosexual that is uh, mostly comes from that uh, from the genetics that you're interested in. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, sir. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for, ha- for having me on. And uh, you can find also, I should say. Oh, would I you like that. to promote your book? I'm so yeah. sorry. I ne- yeah. didn't mention that. The Marijuana Grower's Handbook. Yeah, you no, just came actually, out with that edition. Actually, it's a Cannabis Grower's Handbook. And, cannabis uh, Grower's Handbook. I apologize. Yeah, and it, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the latest in the series. And uh, this book, um, I did it in collaboration with Dr. Rob Flannery, who has a, a PhD in plant biology, and mm-hmm. we, and we uh, collaborated with a lot of uh, marijuana growers and PhDs, scientists, researchers. We did experiments of our own, and this is the most accurate book. It's also, we designed the book so that anybody can understand it and read it, read it and understand it, and it will make you a better gardener. I remember Sunshine has a little section in there and they were given away some signed copies at KMUD. Yes, yes. I apologize. I'll almost let you go before talking about that. Do you have any other projects you want to talk about? No, that's that's what I'm working on now. I'm I'm um I'm, um I'm working on a couple uh, another book project, but I I don't really want to talk about it at this point. Uh, but I do think that people who are interested in growing cannabis would do well to uh, to use the Cannabis Growers Handbook. It will help them out a lot, give them a lot of understanding about the plant, and make them successful gardeners. Yes, sir. And we'll okay. tell them to keep their eyes out for something in the future, maybe. Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you, sir. Have a happy holidays. You too. If you'd like to follow us on any sort of social media for when we post additional content or episodes, we're on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. If you'd like to help this podcast, consider leaving a review in iTunes or coming up Spotify. Helps get the word out and helps other people find us too. Thank you for listening to the Bluegrass Podcast. We're glad you stopped by. Here at the Bluegrass Podcast, we're putting the grass back in the bluegrass.